right, guys, we are back. Welcome. Um, you're listening to Do I Make You Uncomfortable with Morgan and Sarah. I'm Morgan. I'm Sarah. And um, if you've never been with us, welcome. If you're back, welcome back. We are going to cover a pretty somber topic today. Mm-hmm. Um, and as- we have our first guest. Yes. And so we are going to introduce him first. This is Marcus. Marcus, say hello. Hi, my name is Marcus. I'm the token black guy for this conversation. <laughs> He's like the most important part of our topic. The clock's going off. No big deal. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, so as you all know, Sarah and I are both forensic nurses. And when we first saw the initial autopsy report. Um, from George Floyd. Both of us were calling bullshit from the George Floyd case. Um, there was a lot of people. Yeah. A little bit of an uproar, and since they've done a private autopsy and it's come out that it was asphyxiation, and that Emmy came out and said that there that it was yes, yeah. And did you happen to hear one of the things that the doctor said was, "I wish my arteries looked like George Floyd's arteries." No, he had no coronary artery disease. Oh my gosh! Yeah, how's that possible? <laughs> So we just kind of want to talk a little bit about strangulation and then have a really open, honest conversation about what's going on right now. And Marcus, who's the token black guy of the conversation, (laughs) is going to be a voice because Sarah and I, who are the white girls of the conversation, you know, we can listen and we can be allies, but we cannot speak to the pain. Yeah. And so that was what we wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trigger warnings. I think that everybody's triggered right now. I think right. the world's kind of <laughs> triggered right now. Um, yeah. But we are going to be talking about strangulation. Um, a little so, bit about domestic violence. Yes. So, so if uh, you have ever been a victim of domestic violence or you are in a domestic violence relationship, please know that we are going to discuss that uh, because that is our uh, background and uh, that is what we discuss when we talk about strangulation. So we will have some numbers for you at the end. Uh, to the domestic violence hotline, but those are our trigger warnings. And usually we say that we try to make this lighthearted. I mean, we will try maybe yeah. to make it lighthearted, but I don't know that we can make this topic any any yeah. any lighthearted. So yeah. uh, let's just jump right in. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about strangulation real fast. Um, strangulation basically in the most basic form is the um, obstruction of being able to breathe Mm -hmm. by an outside force. Um, It's a really, really big deal for us in the forensic world uh, and the medical world to distinguish um, strangulation against choking. Um, Because with strangulation, if we can prove strangulation um, has occurred in a lot of our domestic violence cases and stuff like that, we can get a felony offense, uh, which isn't always possible in every state. It's a higher charge. Yeah. And when you're talking about strangulation, the reason it's such a big deal is because not much force is required in order to strangle someone. And often there's not any markings or bruises or it's not what you think it should be. So it requires very little amount of force. And so when I saw the picture of him kneeling on his neck and him saying, I can't breathe. My heart dropped when I very first saw it. 
because I knew, I knew what was happening inside of his body. And so when we talk about strangulation, it isn't choking. Choking is something inside blocking your airway and strangulation is pressure that's applied on the external portion of the neck and it stops oxygenation. So your blood flow stops and then oxygenation stops and it first stops to your brain and then the rest of your body. And there's a lot of signs and symptoms you can look for with strangulation, but it really only takes uh, eight to 10 seconds with a very small amount of pressure. So 4.4 pounds of pressure and to cut off your jugulars and 11 pounds to cut off your carotid artery. And so when you cut off that blood flow, uh, you decrease oxygenation to the body and to the brain. And so some of the things that we'll hear is um, most laymen use the word choked because uh, that's how you understand it. So if you hear somebody say I was choked out, usually that means they were strangled. And so we'll ask you know, them to describe what that looked like. Right. Um, some of the things that we see with strangulation, some of the most common things that we see with strangulation isn't necessarily outside injury. Um, you know, when somebody comes in who has been strangled, we don't necessarily see bruises, markings, uh, anything like that. Um, the, Only 50% of the time. Right. The hallmark, quote unquote, as we were learning, is petechiae, which is the little bitty red bumps all over your face or dots all over your face. We don't even see that on a very frequent basis. Yeah, it's very not often at all because you have to cut off those those that vasculature in a really specific way in order for it to happen. Yeah. So that's really not a common Mm-mm. the reason she said quote unquote was cuz it's not a common occurrence. No. no, even though it's like the trademark thing. Um but we do see a lot of uh urinary incontinence. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times people will pee their pants, poop their pants. Um, and that's one thing I did notice in the um, report from George Floyd was that he had peed his pants. Well, they also killed him, so... I mean, but they also <laughs> killed him, obviously, but he'd also he'd peed his pants yeah. prior to. Um, and so that, to me, was automatic. He had been strangled. Yes. That's um, a common occurrence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we do sometimes see broken blood vessels in the eyes. Um... But again, with strangulation, you don't often see injury. No. And you cannot see injury and have internal injury, like having your carotids. So when you talk, when we talk about force, you know, I talked about that only requiring yeah. a small amount of force. Um, if you think about the force that was applied with a grown man's body using his knee on another man's neck. How much do you think he weighed? How much do you guys think he weighed, the police officer? I'm real bad at it. I would guess 180. That's what I was going to say, too, was 180. Yeah, I'm real bad at that. Mm-hmm. But and how much does it take to... 2.2 pounds of pressure to cut off those jugulars and 11 pounds of pressure to cut off those carotids. And, and within 10 seconds, uh-huh. you're And if you think about death. it, the way you can compare that is if you're giving somebody a handshake, a normal adult handshake is 80 to 100 pounds of pressure and opening a pop tab is 22 pounds of pressure. And so you only require that small amount for 8 to 10 seconds. Really, it's 6 to 8 seconds. And then mm-hmm. somebody will pass out. So over a, prolonged, mm-hmm. over a prolonged period of time, within four to six minutes, brain death occurs. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, we watch, we had, there was a training video that we watched for saying uh, that strangulation video 
uh, the surveillance video from the casino. Oh, the casino video. Yeah. It, it took six seconds. It took six, six seconds. No, it was eight. Eight seconds, I'm sorry. Yeah, for the um, perpetrator to uh, make his person pass out. And it is a grueling eight seconds that we sit and make you watch it. And we make you count it. Mm-hmm. And it is an awful eight seconds and then you sit and watch this video for eight minutes eight minutes so eight minutes 42 seconds 42 42 seconds seconds. almost nine minutes so marcus when you saw the video what was your first reaction i didn't watch the whole video i haven't either i have not seen the whole video it hurts yeah but one thing I, I was curious to ask you guys actually mm-hmm. first was one of the things I've seen, and, and I even heard it as a kid, you know, if you can talk, you can breathe. No. And so if Eric, when when you heard it with Eric Garner and you're hearing it with this guy, well, if he can talk, he can breathe. Right. I'd be curious what you would say to that. So it's, it's, it's not true, um, because if you think about it, I mean, even think about kids with siblings and things like that, where... The kid's laying on the floor and the sibling's sitting on top of them with their knees. And they're like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. But they're still talking, right? You can't get a good full breath. You can't get a good oxygenated breath. And with putting any amount of pressure on these structures right in your neck, um, will start to cut off oxygenation immediately. And your passages, too. Yeah, so his trachea was probably still open enough that he was breathing and talking but no that that's a myth so I think one of the PAs that I know that I deployed with um he's a PA now he said it really eloquently I saw him post something the other day you know when somebody comes into the emergency department and they say they can't breathe it's significant for us so they may be telling us that they can't breathe but them telling us they can't breathe means that they can't get the oxygenation that they need and oftentimes we go in to find out why because airway and breathing are two major things that we have to take care of when we take care of patients and so regardless of them saying things while they're talking it still might mean that they're not getting the oxygenation that they need. And a lot of times with people who can't breathe, there's this impending doom that we talk about, this mm-hmm. quote-unquote impending doom. I felt it before. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so when he was calling out for his mother, I didn't see it. I have not watched the whole video. I don't know that I can right now. But um, when I heard that he called out for his mother, I immediately thought he had impending do- doom at that moment and he wanted his mom. Uh-huh. He was and dead. He, yes, he was dead. yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I had the chills, like, all over my body. <laughs> You're gonna get them again. Um, and so, just because somebody's talking does not mean that oxygenation is happening in their body. So, and, and also on top of that, um, you look at what strangulation is used for. And in the domestic violence world of things, and I would say in this, in this situation, situation, it's used as control. A, pa- a form of power and control. That is, that you literally, we always say you literally hold somebody's life in your hands. And you can take it away or and you can give it back. Yeah. In this situation, it was his knee. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can. You can take it away and you can give it back and then you can take it away again. And so it, it is all about control. Um, and we see that, you know, in upwards of 70%, I think was the, the 
thing that I read that our patients will tell us when they've been strangled, I thought I was going to die. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's definitely something that they say is I thought I was going to die. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'd ask about is um, one of the things that's just crazy to me is that one of the officers says his, the pulse is gone. And for, what, two to three more minutes, the man keeps his knee mm-hmm. on his neck. And the the most upsetting thing about it is it makes it so much different than things previously is the length of time it was there was no arguments about fearing for your life or Mm-mm. or i didn't you know there's no snapshot decision this was a long cold mm-hmm. meditated decision in the mm-hmm. way that you see him adjust his knee it's clear what he's doing yes. right and the hard thing about it is for me is uh, trying to make it make sense like yeah why would you do that in broad daylight with the cameras on you and all of their body cams were on too. What what does it say? Just what does that say? Yeah, yeah. You know about that about one who he is as a human, and two the position that he thought that he had that he could do this to another. Well, person. not just him though, but his three his, the, his coworkers, yeah, the other officers yeah, we, that were seeing. The, and they none of them and say, "Why don't you get up and get into the cars?" I don't. I don't understand. Yeah. So whenever you don't, whenever I don't understand things, I try and explain them, and then. The theories you can come up with are pretty wild. Right. Why would they do this for eight minutes and 42 seconds? You know, I don't know that there I, is an explanation. I actually heard this. a police officer talking last night on a podcast, um, and they were talking about how, as a police officer, they have to rationalize it, and they have to make sense of it, because if they don't, they're they're just as confused you know, as the rest of us. So they were trying to make sense of it. And the only thing that the guy could come up with was that he knew he had gone too far and he didn't want to admit it. And I was like, that is not a good a justification justification or rationalization. No, absolutely not. I mean, maybe they save him at that point. You know? Right. Maybe if they get him help, he doesn't die. Right, and yeah. And they all avoid charges. Right, yeah. But the thing that I think it gets to is that they didn't expect to get charges because they didn't see... That that life none mattered. of them yeah that yeah right mattered. so that's just the most upsetting thing is like i i was one of the most profound things i've seen anybody say during this whole thing was trevor noah talking about it and him talking about the breaking of the social contract of this idea that we all agree that we're gonna follow these certain rules and we're all gonna be protected by those same rules and i can tell you that i haven't felt protected by those rules my entire life I've been afraid of police my entire life, even before I can even explain it to you. Mm-hmm. So when you see people focused on the looting. It's infuriating. It's, is it infuriating? I mean, it's it's not that inf- infuriating because it's so normal. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the first things I thought would be, well, how will they justify this? And there hasn't been really much justification. I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen a few people here and there. But overall, it's been pretty much condemnation but what the looting allows them to do is to give them something else to talk about right rather than the real problem so you have two problems right Mm looting is not a good thing nobody's nobody's for looting we all want that social contract to be kept right but if you're focused on them breaking the contract with looting and not focused on the police who had the much greater authority to keep this contract Mm -hmm. 
then what does it say about you? What does it say about us? If that's the argument that we're having here. Right. 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 And I, I read a, a Facebook post that I thought put it, it perfect. And it was from a teacher. And the teacher said, um, you know, she'd been asked her opinion on uh, the looting situation um, and the uh, destruction of property. And she said uh, all she could think about was when she has a kid in class who's acting out, it's not a matter of punishment. It's a matter of why are we acting out? What is causing us to act out? Um, and and that the amount of trauma already involved in just the life that you live on a daily basis doesn't even equal up to, you know, these people who a lot of the the people that we have seen are um, impoverished, living in, in poor neighborhoods and things like that. And it, you that's trauma upon trauma with some more trauma with a side of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's so much trauma there that you can't expect somebody to act, quote-unquote, normal. Of course there's going to be aggression. Of course there's going to be issues. But then again, also, they've arrested... Um, I think they said 16 people in Minneapolis that were white supremacists that started all of the looting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that I found really interesting, too, was that people who are not trying to shine a light on what happened mm-hmm. are causing the destruction and, ca- and increasing the looting and, and increasing the anger, and then people are following along with it. And it's these white supremacists who are now taking away from what we should really be focusing on, and that is the loss of a black life. Right. You know, senselessly. Right. I just, I feel, I was trying to think about the way that I could describe my feelings, and I feel sorrow for the people that I love who are people of color, because I can never understand how you function in everyday life. I can never understand that because I have such a privileged background. And when Morgan and I were talking about, this is why the token black guy is here, because (laughs) when Morgan and I were talking about doing an episode about all of this, we decided we were going to do strangulation and then we were going to lead in, you know, to the George Floyd issue. But we also decided that it couldn't come from us because we don't, we don't know that I don't way. have an experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair for me to speak on it. Right. I don't think that's I don't think that's true to say it's not fair. I think that we're all trying to figure this out and I think that black people have PhDs in this certainly because we live it every single yeah. day. But the nice thing that I you know, let's talk about the positive. The nice thing that I've seen from it is a new conversation that I've thought about pretty much my whole life. But I've never really verbalized it. It's just something that's been internal. But when I uh, I think about being a kid, I'm actually half black, half white. My mother's mm-hmm. white, my father is black. So I've lived in places where my mother was the only white person around. And I've lived in places where me and my sister were the only black people around. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, I feel like I have a big picture of it. A bigger picture than most people. Because I've lived in trailer parks and I've lived in projects. I've, I've done both and I've seen both. And I, one thing I know for sure is that the trailer park and the projects are not that different. 
No. No. You're told every day that they're different. You're told every day that you're enemies, but you're you're the same. But when I think about my childhood growing up in white, predominantly white areas, I think about the the SNL skit with Eddie Murphy called White Like Me, where mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he dresses up as a white person. Yeah, and goes for, like, job interviews. Right, and, it, and the premise of the, the skit is that white people have this secret world that only exists when black people are not around. Right. And it's meant to be funny, but it's true. Right. And I've always known that, even as a kid, that I remember having discussions with myself about who do I allow to be my friend? Because mm-hmm. I would encounter white people who were my friends and I liked, and then I would see or find out about them being friends with someone else who wasn't right. one of my friends who didn't like me because of the color of my skin. And you have this dynamic, especially back then, less so now, but it's definitely true now, but you had this dynamic where if you were around me, then you were with it and you were with me and if anybody said the N-word, we were all together on it. But if I was gone and somebody said the N-word, there was crickets. Right. Okay, I have to tell a story about my daughter and the N-word. Keep going, but I have to tell you about this story. So, so I think the, the, the story that, that I think about, the, there's no, multiple stories, but the story I think about the most is when I was in college. I went to a predominantly white college and... Uh, I played football there, and, and I, I had a number of friends, mostly white, because it was mostly white college. And I remember going to this party that we all used to party at. And I showed up really late. I don't remember why, but I showed up really late, and it was super late, and everybody was drunk, and and everyone was white. And they were singing this David Allen Coe song. Mm, I don't know. And there's a portion in the song, in the chorus, where they say, working like an N-word, or something like that. And I can tell you, looking around the room, as the room slowly realized I was there and seeing them sing that song with just so much glee and seeing this secret world that only existed when I was not when I was not mm-hmm. around, it was, it hurt. Oh, yeah. And, I, and it was at that point that I realized that I wasn't going to make the decision that I made as a kid, which is I wasn't going to expect my friends to be anti-racist. It was okay to just not be racist back then. But what you have to see now and what I hope to see now and what I'm seeing some of is it's it's not okay to just not be racist anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not okay to say I have a black friend. Right. You have to be anti-racist right. now. You have to have those difficult conversations that you've never wanted to have before. Right. For the reasons that I gave you a pass. Because mm-hmm. I knew they're not fun conversations, but you can't have that pass anymore. Mm-mm. So I have two kids and my daughter... Um, last year was exposed to the word and she repeated it and I was told by her boys and girls club um, leader the director who is african-american and he's this wonderful man he's so soft with all of these kids and I walked in and I said I will address this tonight I will find out where it's coming from uh, and we'll have a really frank conversation about it and she's the whitest of white you could ever meet she's a little redheaded little ginger girl yeah And so I just said, you know, tell me, you know, tell me what you said. And she repeated it to me. And I said, where did you hear it? And she said, from these two boys who are, you know, mixed race, one half black, half white, both are are mixed race. And I said, do you know what it means? And she said, no. And I gave her the background of where it comes from. And as soon as I finished, she gasped and she just started crying. And it was the innocence of a child not knowing 
that part of our world that had just cracked for her. And she was like, mom, this is not okay. Why do people say that? And I said, listen, your heart is so pure right now. I understand that that's the way that you see it, but this is the world that we live in and people can be very mean. Mm -hmm. And I said, you have to be against those people. It is not okay for you to hang out with people like that. It's not okay for you to accept people like that because those words are not okay. And it's my least favorite word. One of my, the C word's my first least favorite word. I didn't care about that word. But, you know, for her to be exposed to it and then see her reaction and then have to understand that my black friends have to experience it and explain to their children why they are called that word is just heartbreaking for me. And I just can't, I can't fathom, you know, having those conversations. I think that it's got to be so difficult to have, you know, the talk with young black men, the talk of keep your hands up and, you know, don't do any, you can't go to this neighborhood, you can't go, that's just crazy to me. It's because I don't come from that world, it's crazy. And I, you know, I love all people and I don't, I just, it's very hard for me to understand what comes from a racist person's mind. Right. Um, being that I was raised by people who are pretty racist, I mean, we're going to be real, mm. um, who always blamed it from being from the South. It's just the way I was raised. Um, I came out of that going, the, no, 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 no. This is not how we're going to be. This isn't how we're going to live. And in the same token of things, um, with Bradley, I've had to, we've had to have conversations over the last few weeks. And maybe not necessarily have to have conversations, but we needed to have conversations. Um, And I sincerely asked him, I said, "Do do you know anybody who's black? Just to see what his answer is. Because I, I already know, obviously. And um, he, he named a few people um, off a few of his little friends that he has and stuff. And I said, because um, he had made a comment about, we, we have a joke, and this is, this is Ashley's fault, um, that we don't like birds. We, none of us like birds. And we call it sky trash. Well, there were some black crows flying around. And he said, that's black trash. And I was like, <laughs> that could be misconstrued real easily. And so we had that conversation about, you know, you're, you don't ever want to say that kind of thing because what if your friend heard that? What if this person heard that and heard you say that? What do you, th- they would have no idea you were talking about birds. Context matters though. Right. It right. does. It does. And so, but we have had to have that conversation because he's been seeing things on the news and he doesn't understand why people are um, upset and mad and angry and crying and, you know, that sort of thing. So we don't really sugarcoat things in our house. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I don't have to explain anything yet. Yeah. Mine are too young. Yeah, they are too young. Mine's three and eight months. Three years and eight months. And are they boys or girls? One girl, one boy. Oh, man. So how do you feel about having to have the race conversation with your children? Well, it'll be a different conversation than you might expect because I'm I'm half white and I married a white woman. So my kids are pretty much white. So it'll be a different 
conversation, but I definitely, I want to make sure they're woke or whatever you right. want to call it. And I, you know, and I, I know they Is that will. what you call it? Woke? That's what that's Renee what, calls it. That's what woke. the people call it. Okay. It's being woke. Yeah, yeah stay woke. But, you know, okay. she's going to definitely be aware of, you know, everything. But, you know, kids are anyway now. Mm-hmm. Right. In a lot of ways. They're so much smarter than we are and so much more knowledgeable because they have the internet. Yeah. One of Bradley's friends' moms posted today that she was a little upset because um, her son is half white, half black. She's white. And um, somebody asked her, why do you even care about this? Because your son looks white. And she was like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) What do you mean, why do I even care? Why do I even care? Well, because he may look white, but he's half black. And his dad, I mean, he knows his dad. His dad's in the picture. You know, it's not, and and she's like. Also, you should care about this because it's what's happening right (laughs) Right. now. But that's that's an argument that you see. It's just sort of like, you'll see people, and and I don't respect people who argue this way, but you'll see someone who will say the term social justice warrior is some sort of negative term. But social justice warriors are, are what move us forward. Social right. justice warriors are the white folks who marched in the 60s with Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. when they didn't have any reason right. other, other than giving a damn mm-hmm. to do it. Those were social justice warriors. So if you're trying to argue to me like that's a negative thing, then there's not much for us to talk about. Right, right. right. So, yeah. yeah. I care because I'm supposed to care. Like, right. It goes even back. Even if your kid wasn't. Right. That's what I'm saying. You know? even, even if you don't have... A dog in this fight, you should care because this is the human we race. We all people, have a dog in this fight. That's true. Yeah, but as all. a white person, yeah. you don't have, quote unquote, a dog in the fight. But you do because you have you, you live in a community with, you know, biracial people, black people, you know, right. all all colors. And that's how, that's how I feel. But, you know, that, that's not the viewpoint of so many people. But it, it's a dumb viewpoint, though. And it goes back to the, the Nazi... Mm-hmm. poem where it says you know first they came for the contractors and first then they came for the unions and i didn't say anything because i was not a unionist and they came for the jews and i didn't say anything because so mm-hmm. and i was i've been thinking about this a lot about how like i'm an extremely empathetic person mm-hmm. like i get real emotional like i can't watch that video because it makes me cry thinking same but one thing that i realized about it is it's not this it's not this altruistic thing it's this deep understanding that if it can happen to you it can happen to me Mm -hmm. it's a very selfish thing Mm. and so i can't stand people who look at that and see someone else with a man on dying with a man on his neck and think well he should have done this or he should have done that or i don't care because i don't identify with Mm. that person that just I don't have any patience for it, but you see a lot of people make those kinds of arguments, yeah, especially right. in this situation. Yeah. Do you think that that's a defense mechanism so they don't have to address it? Yes, absolutely. All of it is an injury. Every conversation that I've had with people like that, they are entirely defensive because they feel like this is about them rather than this is about some larger issue. So mm-hmm. it's a personal thing for them. It's as if they acknowledge that there's this this sort of systemic racism they have to acknowledge that they're part of it mm-hmm. right. and if they acknowledge that they're part of it then they're culpable and if they're culpable right. then that leads to all kinds of things that you don't want to deal with so it's a hard conversation to have especially when you're the one and you know we're not any different if i feel like black people are what's being examined or if i feel like some 
gamers, you know, whatever label that I identify with, then I, you know, I feel this defensiveness to it, but you just have to be bigger than that. You have to understand, you have to be able to look at it and say, okay, yes, we're, we may be talking about a label that, you know, that applies to me, but what is the truth here? What's right and what's fair? Because again, if it can happen to George Floyd, if they can sit there and sit on that man's neck for eight minutes and 42 seconds until he dies and sit there for two minutes after he lost a pulse, he can do, they can do that to you. Right. And there's a lot of white people that think, oh, well, that's just a problem for black people. No, it's not. Just because it doesn't make the, it doesn't make the news when it happens to white folks. But the one that I think about, there's been multiple ones, but the one I think about the most is Daniel Shaver, this kid. <coughs> probably never heard of him, but I think that about him. Familiar. I think about him to this day. Because if you watch the video of him dying, it's, it's, it's atrocious. He's just a kid who's probably a little drunk, and he is sitting there in a hallway, and this cop has got a gun on him and is yelling and screaming at him, giving him orders, do this, do that, do this, and the guy's freaking out, freaking out, and he makes one mistake and reaches to pull up his pants because his pants are falling down, and the cop kills him. And you didn't hear about it because it's a white person, and we don't, it's not, I mean, I heard about it, you still heard about it, but it wasn't right. the big news mm -hmm. because it wasn't a white person. But my point is, is that it can happen to you too. Right. And did that cop go to jail? No, he did not. So we make it a racial issue. But it's more than that. Is that I respect, and I've, I've feared cops my entire life, but I love and respect cops and what they do, and I know that we need them. Uh-huh. But we need good cops. Yes. Right. And there are good cops out there. I know, and that, there this, are, is, yeah. this is where I have really struggled with this whole issue, is I feel like, um, we're pitting mm -hmm. as a society police against the black community period and all police are corrupt or all black people are you know awful and um, and I it's been very hard for me because we do work so closely with law enforcement and I have so many law enforcement friends that I know are just genuinely good people and it's it's difficult for me to i i want to support the police because we do need the police and i and i know how much our people are good that we know and that we trust and that we love but i don't i don't want you know i it it's just that internal struggle of you know do can i be on both sides yes you can I yeah I don't have any patience for this, this both sidesism kind of thing. Where right. There's this. So let's say I am a a Black Lives Matter um, protester and activist, and I make arguments that all cops are bad or all cops are pigs or all cops mm -hmm. are this and that. How are you any better? Right. Because no one person can be all one thing. Right. No one person can be all one thing. So one group of people, one label, could never be all one thing. So I, I don't have any sort of patience for these people. And, and you see a lot of it where it's either or. And I've, you know, I've got into it on your Facebook page where mm -hmm. you see it. It's, it's either or. Mm -hmm. There is no in between. Right. So if you're going to talk about police, you better support them. You better fly that flag. Right. And you better not... And if you are against the police, then you better say that they're bad and you better say everything about it. And there's no in between. Now, obviously, it's not everybody is like that. But the tone of the conversation has been like to where if you do want to say, hey, cops are necessary. Cops are noble. Cops are needed. 
cops should be paid more, but we need cops to stop covering for bad cops. Right, right. You're not allowed to say that. You can't say black people are being systematically killed and they're being oppressed by cops. They're being profiled by cops, but we also have problems in our community that need to be addressed based off systemic racism, Mm -hmm. systemic all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So you can't have an honest and open and reasonable conversation. And I've been seeing it on social media now. I was like, as soon as you say the wrong thing, it's game over for you. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I noticed kind of a couple of days after everything that um, a lot of the things in my news feed were police officers in these places where protests were happening were joining the protests. And I thought, you know, that's huge to open that conversation and to create this open narrative and my thought was, I just pray that it continues after all of this big stuff has blown up, you know? And what does it look like for that to continue? Because you can't put your face out there and say, let's do this, let's walk together, and then not move forward in that conversation, you know? And I have a lot of people that I deployed with, and sometimes it's very difficult to see their posts because... It's, it's like this patriotic, you, you can't be patriotic if you are um, supporting this Black Lives Matter movement. Either or. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I, I put boots on ground to fight for every human being in the nation, in this United States. I had people that I served next to who were people of color and who I trusted with my life. They were my brothers. They were my sisters. And I, I fail to see how you can view supporting you know that population as something less than patriotic you know that is patriotic to get out there and stand beside the people in your nation and say i hear you i see you what can i do to support you mm-hmm. you know it, it comes down to w- what is your team when right. you're when you're out there your team is your brothers and sisters and the people that are protecting you but when you're here what is your team mm-hmm. is your team the united states of america or is it this cultural is that was that where you choose your team and mm-hmm. so many of us and i hate to say the term both sides because i think we both sides everything as if everything is equal right and everything is not equal and i don't think that the, this term of both sides is equal but i both sides are doing it here and i just i don't know where we go i mean we need someone great and i don't i don't know who that is or what that is <laughs> man well, who we is multi- that we need right. multiple people yes yeah but i think we might be building them in the streets right now I, I think so too. I've seen a lot of, you know, there was there was one post that I watched earlier today, and it was this black woman who was out in her streets that people were vandalizing and they were setting fires, and she was screaming, "Get out of my neighborhood! You're not going to do this here. These are immigrants. These are people of color. You're destroying their their bodegas. They came here. They immigrated here. This is their livelihood." And she was just, she's like, "You will not do this in my streets anymore." You know, mm-hmm. just to see people find that power and say, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to accept this anymore, you know? And that's really kind of where I want, I want to know what I can do, you know, what, what I can do to be an ally. And I ask a lot of questions. And one of the things that I was going to talk to you about um, today was, you know, you discuss, we discussed the projects in the ghetto. Oh yeah. And so um, in like our very first podcast and my legitimate question was, are they synonymous and the word projects and versus the ghetto. ghetto. And so I talked to Shelly at work yesterday because she she said, 
we had this patient who was outrageous. She knew who they were. They were like an old uh, partner of one of her family members. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm more the bougie side and she's more the ghetto side. And I was like, I want to have this conversation. And she's like, okay. And I was like, okay, you said that like, she's the ghetto side. So we were talking and we were discussing the projects and the ghetto and if they're used synonymously. And the way that she used it was the projects is a place. And she described this girl as ghetto. So it was a person. Yeah. And so I've I had would, multiple people describe themselves as being ghetto. Right. And so I, I said, okay, that makes a little more sense. So that is how she explained to me, you know, how the terms are utilized. I don't know that. I didn't grow up anywhere near. I grew up in Southwest Kansas in the middle of the sticks. So there was no ghetto or there was no projects near me, you know? And I, so that was a significant thing that I said, I need to understand. So tell me. And so I ask a lot of questions. And before I ask them, I have to say, is this going to be offensive? Is this going to be an offensive question? Because I legitimately have this question, but if it's going to be offensive, I don't want to ask it's, it. It's dangerous because you can get shut off just yeah. for saying the wrong thing. Yeah. I think it's part of the you know the barriers to us talking, and I'm not above it right now. I mean, I'm I'm so angry, and I have no no patience for Trump supporters. Oh. So I'm just yeah. I'm not the right person for this moment, really. Yeah. I just I have nothing but rage, really. Right. No, and and I. I'm, I'm very, uh, similar in that, um, you know, of course we're a very brand new podcast, obviously. And, but we, we've not gotten political on the podcast at all. Um, but everybody who knows us knows our views, Mm -hmm. um, and knows that there's, I, I have zero patience for it. Um, and I actually, I posted something on Facebook today that said, you can delete me or you can unfriend me if blah, 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 whatever. And, uh, if you don't like this, you can unfriend me or whatever. And it was kind of a jab and a joke because, uh, my husband has a whole lot of friends that tell him all the time, I really want to unfriend your wife on Facebook because of all of her stuff. Okay. Do it. And do it. Right. You're not going to hurt my feelings right. anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's not, but yeah, no, it's, I would. I hope that they don't, and I hope that you don't, though. I mean, I don't. I don't unfriend people. Um, I have unfriended one person over a debate, um, and it was over their views about sexual assault, and I couldn't. I just couldn't. And they were literally going back to their Facebook and blasting everything, and I just. I couldn't. I couldn't see it anymore. But. Well, I- I just would hope that you don't, I mean, you're going to annoy each other, but I'm not the person that can make those arguments to them. Mm-hmm. I'm not, not going to, it's not going to come from someone like me. Right. You know? And that goes back to where I, what I was saying about being anti-racist. It's not enough to not be racist mm-hmm. because you guys and people like you are the ones who are going to be able to make the arguments. You're going to be able to be heard more mm-hmm. so than I ever could be. Right. Because I, as soon as they hear my position, it's like, oh yeah, of course you think that. Yeah. Of course that's how you feel. Of course that's how you feel. But it's important how you feel because you've lived it. Yeah. You know? But but it's discounted because, oh, yeah. By some people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It it doesn't mean anything because it's, oh, yeah, it's expected. You know, it's like saying, um, you know, it's like a Republican senator supports the president. Well, yeah, of course. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're supposed to. It only matters if he doesn't support him. It's the same kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I will have to say, you know... 
I've been a fairly vocal person my entire life. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I, just, I couldn't hold it in. <laughs> Marcus has known me longer than you have, honey. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't hold it in, I'm sorry. I remember. Yeah, I've been a very vocal person my entire life, but um, I don't know necessarily that I ever channeled it into what I needed to channel it into. I think as I've gotten older and I've I've grown and matured, I've noticed that I don't have the patience for people. You know, previously, if people would make a racist joke or a joke about gay people or anything like no, that. I don't have patience for that either. Yeah, and I was in the room, I would just be like, whatever, you know. Um, and not, now you say something. And now there is absolutely no way I wouldn't say something. I have always, I've said something my entire life that I can, I've had yelling arguments with people about that very subject. About every, I'll argue about anything, really. but you know i i look back on it and feel um not really disgraced but i feel bad about not ever standing like saying that like oh no 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 like i'm not racist and i don't stand for people being racist and things like that but then never actually standing up and doing anything about it i think but now that we're that i'm older i can i can actually do it and I think there's no there's no value in what they call white guilt. Right. <laughs> there's no value in it. Right. It's just what do you do? Yeah. Well, What's it the, takes the it takes the light off of what the light should be on, it, right? It, right? You yeah. make it about yourself. Right. And so, absolutely. Which to some degree it is about you, but yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you know, one thing that I learned over the last few years is I like to I like to talk to people, especially people from other cultures, other countries and things like that. And the way I was approaching it was apparently not the right way to do it. Um, I would just ask people like, where are you from? And as innocent as I thought that sounded, apparently it wasn't. And I was told that by somebody uh, in a very nice way, uh, a very kind like, hey, if, if, you, if you're talking to an immigrant, if you're talking to somebody... Like that, don't, don't ask them, where are you from? Because that's, can be very condescending, very like. And well, it's your, it's your other kind of thing, but it's, it's not a problem in the micro, right? In the, mm-hmm. in right. the one time sense, but it, it's a problem in the, you know, white people are always asking me where, where I'm from. from. Right. I'm from Detroit. You right. Know, why do you keep asking? <laughs> right. It's, so in the macro, in the course of life. It, right. And that's, that's basically what this person told me was, you know, we, we get asked that all the time and it's you know, we're Americans. And so now my, my turn on that is where's your accent from? I love your accent. Where's your accent from? What is your, what's your history? Like that kind of stuff. Because I did ask, and I had this conversation with somebody about that because she said, I've never been asked where my accent's from. I've always been asked where I'm from. And she said, and I always tell them, is it okay to say where we are? Uh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, people probably already know. Anyway. I know. She's very, she's been very against about like people knowing them where we live, but she would say like, I'm from Overland Park. Okay. Cause that's where she's from. That's where she's from. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think there is a, a, an amount of ignorance on the, on the side of people who have been more sheltered in our lives and more privileged in our lives yeah, you know one thing I heard our CEO of our our institution say, um, they've been your doing CEO some of shut up your institution. Well, you left, so that's <laughs> why you traitor. Um, 
we have internal messages going on right now because of all of COVID. And so we have like an internal message daily from our leadership. And one of the things they discussed was the climate of the world and what's going on. And he said, I have the most privilege in this nation you can have. I'm a white man. And I was like, for you to be able to say that out loud. Exactly. And I thought, I'm so glad that it, you know, and he is this individual who is very open and, and he's a great leader. And I thought for you to be able to say that out loud is so significant and makes me love that I work for this place even more because you can only go up from there for you to understand that you have this significant amount of privilege, but what can we do to make sure that everybody's voice is heard? And that's what they said was, what can we do to make sure everybody's voice is heard in our institution? You know, for them to feel comfortable for their voice to be heard. And I thought that was really significant because really that's, that's all anybody wants is for their voice to be heard in a comfortable setting, which it's going to be hard to get there. But I think, I think this might be a start of it, right? Well, it's not, it's not just the voice being heard. It's, it's, it's the voice being accepted. It's oftentimes in my life, if I ever, and I don't talk to white people about racism generally because the conversation goes well let me tell you about this experience that I had where I felt like this was racism and their response usually is all the reasons and ways it wasn't racist like telling me Deflecting well, because oh, they feel oh, well, well like, you know yeah. you probably this and, and probably so there's always a denial of my experience so it's a waste of time and I think that's one of the things that's happened should have happened many times before but you know as you sit there and you watch that man with the with a, ne- a knee on his neck for eight minutes and 42 seconds and, and the man looking around and right. like reapplying his knee for that long I was like you can't deny my experience anymore no and, and I and I'm I mean I've been this way for a while but you know, I'm not I'm not interested in, in you denying it or listening to you deny it so there's no room for conversation there and I think that the conversation slightly started during the the Aubrey situation you know where it's because I've had the I I had multiple conversations via Facebook of course like the worst place to have conversations <laughs> uh, multiple <laughs> conversations with people after I have posted things and which situation are you talking about Aubrey Ahmed the Ar- the guy that was running isn't it Arbery, Arbery, Ahmed, Arbery, Arbery. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's because you're white. That's why. Everybody knows you're. <laughs> I didn't though. I really. I was mm-hmm. like, who? Arbery. Whatever. I just was verifying. Sorry. Whatever. So anyway, um, you know, I posted a couple of of things about, um, the whole situation and, um. I had gotten some opposing views on it. And I thought, you have no room to talk. You can go run in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? You have no problems running in your neighborhood. You have no room to say that this didn't happen uh, because of this the color of his skin. But they will always find a way. Yeah. That's interesting that I... I don't think I've ever heard it put like that or understood it like you said. You know, they always find a reason to diminish my experience. So I'm really... One of the things that I'm really trying to do is is stop and think about what the person is telling me, how I'm receiving it, and if I have questions, if, if they're, you know, going to be offensive, and if I can make some... Do some of that research myself, you know? 
find out those answers without being, without having to reach out to a black person and ask the question. Go find those answers. They're not there to answer my question. That's a good. That's a good point. Is like oftentimes we're expected to be encyclopedias, right? But I think that's great what you said. But I think there is a flip side of it, which is that with uh, sometimes I will see someone like you who is maybe not fully comfortable or maybe doesn't know exactly how to say it. Maybe mm-hmm. you say the wrong thing, and then it's game over for you. I think there has to be, from my side, if you will, this sort of openness to having these conversations, even though we've been having these conversations our entire life, and they're extremely tiresome to us. We still have to put in that work to do the best that we can, because that's how it happens. That's why I'm saying to you, don't unfriend these people, because I can't do it. Right. My, my anger, my hostility, my color will not allow me to do it. That's why you have to do it. That's why you have to be the one. That's why you have to be anti-racist because that's how we get there. Is that If we stop allowing these spaces where people can be racist, mm-hmm. that's where it starts for me. You can't say, oh, it's just my uncle. Right. It's, it's not okay anymore. No. Mm-hmm. No. And it's not. And, and that's, that's something that um, I think today in this world we need it uh, yeah uh today in this world we need to instill in our children more than anything you know mm-hmm. our our little boys are going to grow up with white privilege mm-hmm. and we need to i think we need to instill in the beginning to them that it's not okay to say these things it's not okay to you know treat people this way because if we can foster that from their age right now you know um, Bradley for the longest time never, he would never, if you asked him to like describe somebody to you, the color of their skin never came. <laughs> My kids always say brown, no matter, no matter the shade, it's always brown. If they're describing a black person, they'll say brown. He's brown and he's in Mrs. This teacher's class. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I know who you're talking, you know, like it's, and so we, Bradley would always say black hair. Brown eyes, <laughs> you know, he wore a green shirt yesterday. <laughs> Thank you, honey. I got that, you know. Um, and I thought for a long time that that was a good thing. Um, well, I don't think we need to press it, but yeah. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it's nothing that I'm like, that person is black, honey, or yeah. that person is Mexican, honey. You know, like, it's not anything like that, but... Um, I know for a fact that I have said in the past, all lives matter. And now seeing the responses to that. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It makes so much sense. It just makes so much sense for me not. Like, I, 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 I just wish people would explain things to me, I guess. <laughs> well, the all lives matter thing was just a difficult argument because everybody was right. Right. You know, it was, but, everybody was right. All lives do matter. Yes. But it was just. But it was diminishing of, your experience. It was, it was a matter of, it, exactly. It was, yeah. a matter, it was a matter of emphasis, right? Right. So right now, are you talking about that man getting choked out or, or strangled mm-hmm. for eight minutes and 42 seconds? Are you mad about that or are you mad about losing? Right. So it's like, what are you focused on? It says a lot about where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That focus. I think the best way that I heard it was, you know, 
you're at a cancer rally for breast cancer and somebody runs up to you and says, all cancer matters. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit, yeah. perspective. Right. Wow, that was perspective. Right. My favorite one is the, the picture of two houses. One's on fire, one's not on fire, and he's praying the water on the one that's not on fire, saying all houses matter. Mm-hmm. It's, we mm-hmm. get all lives matter, but that's not what we're talking about right, right. right now, right? If I'm upset about something and you start saying, well, yeah, but this happened to me and that matters too, it's like, that's not what this is about right now. That's not showing compassion or consideration for right. Mm-hmm. Right. So in this conversation, as two white girls, <laughs> what can we do? What can we do from here on out besides stand? I was... You know, I would say the main thing I've been saying this whole time is just be anti-racist. Stop allowing for these spaces in your world where racism can exist without being shunned. It should be shunned everywhere, regardless of who they are, regardless of what it's about. You shouldn't allow it to happen. The other thing I would say is continue to have these conversations with people you don't agree with, even though I suck at it. So I'm the, <laughs> I'm the wrong person to be saying this, but it's what's necessary. It's, it's, it's something that... Um, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that I just RBG. I think about it all the time, and it's it's everything I'm not, but it's everything that we need. And that it's not enough. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's not enough to be right if nobody likes you. It's not enough to be right if you don't do it in a way that will allow other people to follow you. And I have a way of being right and making no one like me. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need people like me. We need people who can be right, but do it in a way that will talk to these people. And over time put in the effort and care and love that's what it all it, it's what that's what you can do and have those conversations with those people in your world that you know are like that have those conversations with your parents they're not fun and they're point probably feel pointless sometimes but those are the standards that we have to set for the people around us that's good to know because i think sometimes when i see a post i'm like i you know i'll go to type something and be like it's not even worth it's it. It's not worth it. But now that you say that, it's going to be worth it for me. It's and going to be worth it to say, listen, it's not about you. It's not about what you think. It's about how they are experiencing things. And it's very different than the way that you experiencing experience things as an old white man. <laughs> you right. know? And that will and that that will be more of is because especially in social media, you have the audience of the person that you're talking to, which may or may not care about what you're saying, but there's more than just that person that you're talking to. And I gotta tell you. When I'm reading something like that and I see somebody coming in and saying that and not allowing that space, it means I will not jump in. I'm not going to participate, but it means a lot to see it. It means a lot to see it. That's good to know. It's good to know, not just on social media, but in work settings and in life settings too. Like for you to say not allowing that space in your life, I think that's really important. I can tell you there's just been times in my life where I looked around and I'm saying this is happening. And no one's saying, saying anything. anything. Like those cops standing there not doing anything. This is happening and nobody is helping this and man. That's, and, and that's my favorite, one of my favorite quotes from any movie from Boondock Saints, which is, we should all fear evil men. Mm-hmm. There is a greater evil that we must fear most, and that is the indifference of good men. Yep. And I think we should probably end it there with yeah. that statement, because I think that that says a lot. Um but thank you so much for yeah, thank you. coming Definitely. here and, and having being our this token conversation. Happy to. I'm always <laughs> with new. Us. I've been a token many times in my life. I'm from, I'm from Winfield, Kansas. So yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been a token quite a bit. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming and yeah. being um, a token yeah. black guy on our podcast because yeah. it's still small. and But hopefully, you know, it'll grow and people will hear this 
in two or three years or four years or five years and say, you know, wow, that's significant. Oh, I'm blasting this everywhere, (laughs) every day. Don't you worry. I appreciate Uh, you being here and, you know, and putting yourself out there and being vulnerable enough to talk to us. Oh, I'm not vulnerable. My ego is quite large. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that we wanted to do uh, at the end of this podcast was to read the names of people of color who've been senselessly killed um, in, by law enforcement. So here we go. Eric Garner, John Crawford III, Michael Brown, Azel Ford, Dante Parker, Michelle Casso, Laquan McDonald, George Mann, Tanisha Anderson, Akai Gurley, Tamir Rice, Romaine Brisbane, Jeremy Reed, Frank Smart, Natasha McKenna, Tony Robinson, Anthony Hill, Maya Hall, Philip White, Eric Harris, Walter Scott, William Chipman II, Alexia Christian, Brendan Glenn, Victor Manuel La Rosa, Jonathan Sanders, Freddie Blue, Joseph Mann, Salvador Ellswood, Sandra Bland, Albert Joseph Davis, Darius Stewart, Billy Ray Davis, Samuel DeBose, Michael Sabi, Brian Keith Day, Christian Taylor, Troy Robinson, Assams Pharaoh Manley, Felix Kumi, Keith Harrison McLeod, Junior Prosper, Lamontez Jones, Patterson Brown, Dominic Hutchinson, Anthony Ashford, Alonzo Smith, Tyree Crawford, India Cager, Levante Biggs, Michael Lee Marshall, Jamar Clark, Richard Perkins, Nathaniel Harris Pickett, Benny Lee Tignor, Miguel Espanol, Michael Noel, Kevin Matthews, Betty Jones, Quintonio Legreer, Keith Childress Jr., Janet Wilson, Randy Nelson, Antroni Scott, Wendell Celestine, David Joseph, Callan Rokemore, Deshaun Perkins, Christopher Davis, Marco Loud, Peter Gaines, Tori Robinson, Darius Robinson, Kevin Hicks, Mary Truxio, Demarcus Seamer, Willie Tillman, Terrell Thomas, Seville Smith, Alton Sterling, 
Philando Castile, Terence Crutcher, Paul O'Neill, Altaria Woods, Jordan Edwards, Aaron Bailey, Renal Foster, Stephen Clark, Antoine Rose II, Botham Jean, Pamela Turner, Dominique Clayton, Atatiana Jefferson, Christopher Whitefield, Christopher McCorvey, Eric Reason, Michael Lorenzo Dean, Brianna Taylor, George Floyd.